Shannon Tipton here, and welcome to the Learning Rebels Coffee Chat, where all the cool L&D peeps hang out. And while you're here, don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on future chats. Today, the cool kids are discussing skills gap analysis. Now, I know that is not the sexiest topic, but it's so important. And simply put, a skill gap is the difference between the current skills that people have and the skills that they are going to need. How do we conduct a skills gap analysis for a future of work when we aren't sure what the future of work is? How do we help people become successful not only this year, but next year and the year following? It's a conundrum. And in a time when organizations are experiencing the ever-increasing need to reskill and upskill, this is something that we can whip out of our toolbox to make a really big business impact. So the question on the table today is, what tools, processes, and support do we need to conduct a successful skills gap analysis to prepare the businesses for the future of work? So without further ado, Let's get to it. Well, here we are. Friday, my favorite day of the week. Every other Friday is my favorite day of the week with you guys because I just love having these discussions. And I brag about this group consistently with whoever I come in contact with because the ideas and the sharing and the exchange of knowledge is just so powerful. So I want to thank you all for being here with me today and continuing to be with us through this journey, you know, of continuous learning. So thank you, thank you. And today it's all about skills gap analysis. And I am really looking forward to seeing and hearing from those of you who have experienced with this, what sort of tools are you using? What sort of processes are you using? And also, I don't know if you've done one recently, what are you discovering? You know, what have you discovered about the needs of your organization? Is there anything new that's popped up that's sort of taken you by surprise? I want to hear all of those things. So I guess the question on the table is how can our skills gap analysis prepare us for a future of work? I'm going to kick that off with you and ask you guys, what are you doing? Does anyone have a special tool that you use or process? Let's start with Maureen. Maureen, what are you doing with a skills gap analysis? What's your experience with it? I was just about to respond to JD in the chat because they indicated that they've used, of course, you taught with ATD around skills gap analysis. So I was just curious to see what was there. I would say, and I don't know that it's a full skills gap, but for audience analysis and learning more about the learners, create learner insight sessions using Mural. But that's not, I don't think, to the level of granularity that maybe a skills gap analysis would be. Well, I think it's a good start because what we're doing is we're having conversations about where we are with skills and where people want to be. Because that's exactly what a skills gap analysis is, isn't it? It's here's where we are. Here's current state. Here's future state. What's going on in between? And so anytime that we can have that conversation with people and figure out what's happening then it's a benefit. And so thank you, JD. The course that I taught with ATD, I'm assuming you're speaking about 
the instructional design course, I think. <laughs> I do a lot of stuff with ATD, so sometimes I have to stretch my memory. What was it that I was talking about? So the ropes phases of instruction is about instructional design, not necessarily about skills gap analysis. But when, you, when we're thinking about bridging the gap, and I think with the skills gap analysis, especially right now, it's not only identifying new skills, it's figuring out why people aren't using the current skills they have. So what is the barrier? And the barrier being, do they not know how to do the thing? Do they not have the skills to do the thing? Do they not want to do the thing, right? And so when you think about skills that they currently have and aren't using, we have to ask ourselves why. And it's gonna be one of those three things. And so it's easy enough if you're thinking, okay, there's a new skill, we have to reskill or upskill. It's clearly a, they don't know. They don't know how to do the thing. So that's an easy one. And, but then when you think about, well, why aren't they communicating or why aren't they collaborating, even though we give them the tools to be able to do that, and that's an important skill for today's workplace, why aren't they doing it? Then we have to go back to basics and think about why aren't they doing it? How are you determining then what skills your organization needs? I think it's like anything else is beginning with, you know, there's a known either performance gap or if there's an opportunity in speaking with the business, like what are they seeing or not seeing that is needed? It's through the basic consulting to identify, are you looking to fill a gap or are you looking to kind of leverage an opportunity? And then speaking with either in interviews or focus groups, or you could even start with a survey, like seeing what is the difference between kind of the top performers and those who might be average. And so from that, you know, using a similar interview template, but you can then start to recognize maybe what the star performers or the top performers are doing that's different. So that helps to highlight maybe what the gap is. Now, I don't know sometimes if it's necessarily a skills gap, and that's where I think it's the Mager and Pipe analyzing performance problems flowchart comes into being where it can help identify is it something that somebody could once do but they have not done it in a while so maybe they need a refresher and then there's always the people don't like this but it's like if a gun were held to your head would you be able to do it right Um, that's the do they want to do the thing yeah so that also gets it motivation and the whole bit but sometimes it's that you know I think it's like to be grounded in what is the performance or what is the behavior that you're looking for identifying the gap or the glean insights from what top performers are doing versus what average performers are doing. And then can see if it's like, is it a knowledge gap? Is it a skill gap? Is it a motivation? motivation? Is it the environment? Like just... Exactly. Yeah. Dr. Bob, I saw your hand. Maureen, of course, is right on target. But there's another element here that we have to keep in mind. And that is what's in the business plan for this organization? And what kind of skills does that suggest that we'll need in the future? We can do a training program for 400 people and it takes two or three months. And then it's a, oh my God, there's another skill or another skill set here that's coming down the pike in the next month or two. Yeah, they know this, but they don't know that. They don't know what's coming. And Mm -hmm. I think access to business plans and being able to analyze business plans to determine 
what skills will be needed that aren't there now. Oh my gosh, you just hit the nail so on the head there. And I love the fact that you brought up gaining access to business plans. Because I think that's so important because you're right. If you have insight to what's happening within the business, you can sort of use that as your crystal ball, right? Yes, exactly. We're going to need more and more crystal ball skills in the future because (laughs) the pace of things in terms of changing what we're trying to do in our organizations and trying to make sure our economy continues to roll forward. Gosh, we just have to be so open and so analytical. And detective-like. I think that there's a lot of scratching of the surface that we need to do. It's finding the P&L statements. It's finding Mm -hmm. the annual reports. It's finding what was the last marketing report that came out. Those sorts of documents and those sorts of reports really do tell a story. You know, so if you get a hold of a marketing report for, let's say, the past quarter, you can see where, yeah, sales are down, but then that leads to deeper questions. So why are sales down in this particular area for this particular product? Or why is it that we have not hit this particular matrix? And then you can go back and have a conversation, right, with people in sales and say, what's happening? And then maybe that can lead you to a whole other, not a course, but a skill set that needs to be refined or sharpened. Yeah, and we need to be in touch with the strategy of the organization. I think big time, we can look for annual reports and business meeting summaries, but where are we going to be January of 2023 in terms of skill sets required that we don't have now? I think that's part and parcel of what we need to be able to do. For our organizations. I agree. And I just wrote that down, business meeting summaries. That was not on my list. That's a good one. And so if you work in a really transparent organization, a lot of times these business meeting summaries are made available and it's a matter of finding them. So what else are you guys doing? I love what Dr. Bob just said. So who out there is doing this sort of thing? How are you using the business to kind of guide you to determine What skills may be needed for the future? Are you interviewing business leaders? How about that? Let's start there. Yeah, it's actually a process we're just starting and I had my my first one the other day and it's asking those questions. You know, what are your immediate needs? What do you see in three years to five years so that we can can plan for that? As I wrote in the chat, it's about getting a seat at the table and that as a new department in my company, I'm trying to get invited to those meetings. So even if we're just sitting there listening, we can hear what's going on and find out, okay, I see where we're going here. So let's start talking about how do we get the people skilled to do the things that they need to do. We have a lot of technically skilled people that can do the job that they do where they're missing is in the softer skills. And that's prohibiting our growth and our retention a lot. So, you know, Shannon, that article that you sent out that lists the skills that are needed Uh I think is a great place to start for all of us and identifying which ones we need to move forward with. For example, number four on your list was critical thinking. I've been trying to make that number one for 10 years because if you talk to K through 12 or even college professors, they're not teaching critical thinking 
as critical thinking. Maybe it's tacked on to something in the fourth grade. Maybe it's tacked onto something when you studied government in high school. Maybe one of your professors touched on it, but it's all maybes. And critical thinking is a monster skill for the future. Here's where I saw a disconnect at the conference that I was just at. The development priority, the number one out of the survey that this particular industry took with their particular audience was compliance. Okay, bury that in your head. The next slide was, what is the most important investment? The most important investment on that list was learner engagement. So there's a direct disconnect there. So if we say that the priority for learning is compliance training, but what is the priority for the investment is learning engagement and collaboration, creativity, innovation. There's a real skew there. So I think it goes back to what you were saying, Dr. Bob, is that are we aligned with what the business wants us to do? Right. And so somewhere, some LD people, this particular group thought that compliance training should be the top of the list. Whereas when you're thinking about investment triggers, that's not the top of the list. Right. So if you go back, that was the World Economic Forum report from 2020. What I also found that was interesting, along with the critical thinking, was that automation is already here. And while automation may be displacing some jobs, it takes a human to manage that automation. So that's a whole different new skill set. And what are we doing to help the businesses prepare for this if you're in an industry that may see automation become stronger, you know, like banking, for example. So there's a whole realm of skills that we need to be prepared to address. How are we going to do that? Yeah, and the whole field of artificial intelligence is going to explode any minute and are people going to be ready for it because they have some skill set that they can use right and it's all around us artificial intelligence is all around us it's really what moves our lives right now and sits firmly behind the scenes so again what is it that we're doing and i think it requires a different approach Right. It takes a different approach to how we're looking at the business and how we're helping the business. There are templates that can help you determine which skills are needed and which skills can go by the wayside. And where I like to start is, I don't know if anybody else has used this before, is a high use, high impact. And JD, this may sound familiar to you. So a high use, high impact chart, which is we take the skills that we currently have and we think about how are they being used? Are they being used in such a way where they really impact the business on a daily basis? Or even when they are used, forget daily basis, when they are used, they have a high impact to the business. And then you take a look at the ones that are used most frequently. And so when you graph that out, the ones that are not used frequently and do not have an impact, this is not where we need to be focusing our attention. So you're looking at the ones that really do help move people forward, help move business goals forward. And so you start there, high use, high impact. And then you do what Maureen started us with. It's having conversations with people. It's having conversations with departments. 
It's using, if you want to use collaborative tools like Mural or Miro or Jamboard or whatever, you know, so that way you can get different departments in from different spaces. You can find out what they are doing. Don't ask them what skills they need because they don't know what they don't know, but ask them what they're doing. You know, what are you doing every day? And then from there, you can say, oh, well, if you spend all of your time doing X, what kind of skills do you think it takes in order to do X well? And then you can start mapping that out. And Langevin's instructional design training also focuses on the same dichotomy. Yes, it does. It does, Amy. So Amy, do you want to tell us about that? Or Amanda, I'm sorry. They've got um, in their instructional design class and same with the training needs analysis is you need to pick some objective data points to look at, and then you can move to the more subjective. But what I've often started with, given that I work in government, everybody has got a very clearly defined PD of what are your roles, responsibilities, and tasks you need to do of your core functions, and then of other functions that are not the office core functions. But I often find starting with a PD and then moving into having a conversation with the supervisors for via interview of our expectations being met, because sometimes I've discovered that the skills gap is actually an expectation gap that has not been clearly conveyed by the supervisor or manager. And it's something that's implied, not explicitly stated. So we're working with one office to move them from not implying certain expectations, but really clearly what is the benchmark to be meets expectations. And that's the benchmark for everybody. And then what does that actually look like in a day-to-day work? And then what skills support that work? So for instance, if they're doing investigations, well, you need to be able to have some sort of problem analysis and you need to be observational. You need to also have that interpersonal connectiveness if it is in-person contacts and you need to be able to observe an individual's body language to see, are they being truthful or are they not? Because within certain work, there is a natural skepticism that is often integrated into like investigation work. It could be multi-pronged, but I love taking the PD approach first because that's a great just, you know, what's on your PD? What should you be doing? If it's not up to date, let's update it and then let's talk about that and then talk about the skills that support your core functions. And by PD, you mean personal development or professional development? No, I'm talking about position description. Okay, position descriptions. Oh, okay. Because often the position descriptions have the core functions and or the tasks related to what they need to do. Yes, they do. Because I always then rope in the supervisors to begin with, because if we start having interviews and we're finding okay, so what is the expectations? How have you conveyed these expectations? Have these expectations been met? And if so, how are they not being met? And what's really interesting is sometimes within those conversations, they'll say what the expectations are, but they won't actually convey unmet expectations. So there's kind of a breakdown of they're not meeting this expectation, but they're not clearly conveying that it is an expectation. So it's an expectation gap where sometimes the supervisors don't even know clearly how to articulate what their expectations are. So to set the employee up for success, you need to start setting them up. Well, what is your benchmark to succeed? I think what you said was really important. And I think that there is something there when you talk about, and I I had not put it into such terms of thinking of it as an expectation gap. That's really interesting to me. The job has one expectation of skill and a person may not know what that expectation is. And it's the same thing with skills, right? It's the job has a certain expectation of skill. And if that's not clearly articulated to the person, how can they meet that? 
And so perhaps when we think about a skills gap analysis, there's even a further investigative step that we can take is not only is the skill needed for the business, but are we sure that we're communicating that? Is everybody on the same page with that skill and what that skill is supposed to do? What kind of impact that skill is supposed to have? Yeah, maybe we need to step back and think about what is actually a skill. And so, okay, so we could take that cart and we can move it even further back because there's certainly a conversation to be had around the difference between skills and competencies. Not necessarily the full topic of today, but I do think there is some in the industry, I think if you'll get a group of L&D people together like we have here, and if we said, you know, what's your definition of skill, what's your definition of competency, you're probably going to get a variety of different things. I do think that that's worthy perhaps of a future conversation. But I do think that being able to articulate that to the business does become important. So however you are articulating that, it needs to be said because your business doesn't always know what you mean either. The two major hangups that I find that I watch for is within the supervisor's camp, can they articulate what the expectations are? Are they even aware of what their expectations are, helping them clarify their expectations and then becoming confident with stating what the expectations are? That's a big hang up. And then if expectations are stated, but they're ambiguous between the employee and the supervisor, the ambiguous subjective definition of the expectation is can be just slightly off or yards off. Where so like if you have to make sales performance, like I saw in the chat, where you need to have good sales. Well, good sales is very vague. A supervisor may think that's 10 sales a day versus the employee may think, oh, it's five sales a day. And then that's a five quantity number difference. So trying to get folks on the same page of, well, if expectations aren't matching between what the employee perceives them to be and what the supervisor perceives them to be is also another hangup. Yes. You know, and I think that that goes back to when we do these sorts of things to use different language, should we call it a skills gap analysis? We do that for us because we know what it means. The business may not know what it means. Does that mean we need to change our vocabulary to make it more palatable, to make it more acceptable, to make it easier for us? Is that what we should be calling it? There is certainly merit here to being able to say, do we know, are we clear around the words that we use and the results that we're expecting? And I appreciate when Amanda talks about, can the supervisors even articulate what they need? That's our superpower, isn't it? To be able to help draw that out, to help them to be able to articulate what exactly it is that they need. I'm curious again, let's go back to you guys. How are you having skills conversations with management? What does that look like? How does it start? The assumption is that those conversations are going on. Is that correct, Shannon? That's what I'm hoping. (laughs) Well, what are people experiencing? Are they going on? I work in an organization that is a national organization and it's federally funded. And we provide free training for people in a specific industry. And so in my role, I don't have contact with key people at management level in the types of service organizations that we are aiming to help. 
So what happens is basically the directors of our centre, and we're based out of a university, they will propose a online course based on their area of research and their area of expertise. And so when I try to talk to them and to do like a skills analysis of, okay, so what do we want people to know? What are the skills at the moment? How many people do you think are aware of this? And our industry also has a really high turnover of staff. So they're constantly trying to throw a lot of information at people who are incredibly busy already and are in very stressful jobs. And so one thing I struggle with is that connection and that feedback that would really help inform what I'm doing rather than being guided by faculty members who aren't actually out in the practice. I've brought this up numerous times and we have an advisory board and in our region, which is called Region 10, and we make up Alaska, Washington State, Oregon and Idaho. We have members from organisations within those states as part of our advisory board and trying to get them engaged to help us understand what the needs are and how to engage people because otherwise it's just like, well, I want to make an introductory course about this particular treatment method, evidence-based treatment method. I want it to be suitable for everyone. So from someone who is brand new to the field, an administrator, high up administrator who has never been an actual clinician and so may not have any understanding at all, may have come in from a policy kind of area instead. So I feel quite frustrated at times and quite alone because this is my first or the only ID position I've worked in in the States, whereas in Australia, I worked at a university and I worked with faculty members and there were a lot of other people who did a similar role to me. And we were all we operated as a collective, really, and we shared everything and we were really strategic in what we did and how we did it. And that's something I'm struggling with because I feel like really on my own and this is a unique sort of situation. And even within my network and the greater network that we're part of, there's not many instructional designers. And the ones that I have come across they're more likely freelancers and so they're not necessarily running into the same problems that I am. So just basically wanted to share my experience. (laughs) (laughs) And we've all been there. We've all been there, Rebecca, and it is frustrating and sometimes it's confusing because you want to help and you don't understand why they don't want your help. And I think, Anel, you bring up a really good point there in the chat about the company culture, the culture where people are suspicious or unwilling. And that is certainly, you know, when you think about it in those terms and you definitely have, you know, deeper issues than a skill gap analysis is going to help you with, you know, so then it becomes more around cultural conversation. So based on your comment, were you able to work around that or work through it a bit but it was it was difficult because 
learning and development was viewed very suspiciously because we're part of the extended HR team. So uh, we got a lot of questions like, well, why are you asking? And are you trying to set me up to gather ammunition against me to get me in trouble? And I was like, no, I'm here to help you. I'm trying to help you succeed. I'm trying to help your team succeed. That's my role. My role is not hatchet man trying to find out who's not doing their job so we, I can get you in trouble. But it was a very toxic culture and that's just how it was. And now I'm with a company where everybody's very open and honest and they understand my role. So when I ask questions, they're not saying, well, why do you want to know that? You know, I want to know because I want to, want to help them get their teams to be the most effective possible. And so it's a lot easier. Yeah, I see Don's comment there, the case for L&D not being part of HR, completely agree, a whole different soapbox. I think it goes back to the comment that was made earlier about changing our vocabulary around a skills gap analysis so that it's not so intimidating. It doesn't sound punitive to put it into friendlier terms. Maybe it's just, hey, I'm trying to plan for the future. Help me plan for the future. And so we take the word skill out of it. We take the word learning out of it. We take training, HR, we take all of those words out of it. And we use business terms or just human words rather than L&D words. And maybe that might help us a little bit. And it could be when you're having interviews with people, it's not about trying to figure out where you're failing in your jobs. It's about... I want to put something together that's going to make you even more successful in your job. And I don't understand everything that you do. So if you can help me understand what you do and the skills it takes to do what you do, then we can be better partners. And so maybe it's a conversation that starts like that. When you start with the phrase, help me understand what you do, then it becomes less in your face, less punitive sounding, then I'm trying to discover your skills. And they're like, why do you want to discover my skills? Right? I don't know. Is there something to that? Does that resonate at all? I agree that you definitely need to put stuff in business terms versus using ID jargon or L&D jargon, just to be the most clear about what the point of what you're trying to do is. Yep. And Stella, you say block thinking of departments. Now help me understand what you mean by that. I think the company I work for has been grown considerably. And beforehand, the salespersons were technicians, really lab people. Really, they could pipette test kits. They had a biological background. And now with the years, the sales managers changed. And now they employ only people with non-technical background. You know, they are not even able to hold a pipette. So who is doing a demonstration of the test kit in front of the customer? Who is doing it? Because the people working in the lab, they are supposed to work in the lab and not go traveling to customers. You know, so the lab manager said, well, Stella, we are not going there because my stuff it's not in their contract. If you want them to travel and do demonstrations and troubleshooting in the customer's lab, then you have to pay them more and, and modify the contracts, the working contract. And that's why I found Amanda's comments very helpful. I ask everyone, what do you think are the qualifications of a perfect salesperson? 
And then I start, do they need to understand only the biological test kit? Do they need to be able to carry out a demo? Do they need to be able to troubleshoot the results? And do they need to explain competitor test kits? And I think this is really, you have to go back to the roots and you have this block thinking, one department against the other department and L&D me, I'm all on my own. I'm feeling also very lonely, Rebecca. You know, it's everywhere the same. So I do exactly what Amanda is doing, defining with everybody what the perfect salesperson should look like. And then I align my training to this. That's great. That's great. I love that. And just so everybody understands, in many countries in Europe, you work under a working contract. And that contract is very specific to what you do. And you're not allowed to go outside of that contract. For example, um, if you work in Darmstadt, you get a contract for Darmstadt. And every day you go to the lab and you work in the lab in Darmstadt. And I have a contract saying I was employed as a salesperson. And I said, frequent travels are part of your job so you have to travel half of the time so it's specified in the contract right and so those of you who may be thinking well you know you just change your job description it's not that easy <laughs> it's not that easy because they have a contract but i like that stella so now that means you have to go back and we have to rethink about in your case what you're putting into the contract and in our case here in the states what that means is yes that means revisiting the job description which we talked about earlier and it also aligns with what dr bob was talking about earlier as well because I find that a lot of job descriptions were written way back in 1985, you know, just to fulfill some need somewhere. And they do not align with where the business is today and what the business needs today. And put the customer in the focus of this description. You know, it's, it's not only the job description, but think a bit further and think about how do we serve best the customer. And then that's L&D. Right. When we talked earlier, and so Don, I see your comment there, and it aligns with what Jason was talking about earlier today too, which was about having that seat at the table. And sometimes you don't have that seat at the table. And of course, you guys know my position. My position has always been, don't wait for the ask, just go grab it, you know, just sit down at the table. And a little bit of past for you is when I was first starting out in this, I would just walk around and beg to be part of meetings. And it's just as Jason said, let me be part of the meeting. I promise I won't say anything, right? And everybody's like, yeah, right. The day that Shannon doesn't say something. But those were the days where I literally had to promise, I'm just going to sit here with my notebook. I'm going to be a good person, sit in the back and listen to what's happening within the business, right? And yes, that observation, you know, so I can observe what people are saying and how they're saying it and what seemed to push people's buttons Right. And you kind of had an insight as to not only what they needed, but the political environment around it. Who should I start with? Who might be my best champion to help me move forward? And who is it that I'm going to need several champions in order to get with me? And I think that there's something to be said about having those observational skills, but also don't disregard the hallway meeting. You know, when you see somebody pass by your cube or your office, if you're in the office, then there's an opportunity for you to jump up and say, hey, I had a question. Help me understand more about this. Just real quick. Give me two minutes about this. 
and then leave them alone. And I'm sure that a lot of leadership within past organizations that I worked for started to actively avoid my office for that reason, because you never know when I was going to pop out and try to tackle them with questions. But I found them, found them at lunch. I found them in the coffee room. I, I found them in the hallway. And it was just, for me, it was just questions, 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 questions. You know, I think that's great. I used to do that all the time. But Stella pointed out something earlier, and that was that she doesn't have another professional trainer that she can talk to. She's kind of off on her own. I don't know how much she's thought about this, but she should find someone somewhere because I think that being able to bounce off people is unbelievably cool. And it helps you regain focus or change focus or my whole life, I've had at least one person I could go to. Absolutely. And that when you talk about asking questions, asking questions of the business, asking questions of your support system, finding somebody to help support you in this. You have a whole group of people here that you could reach out to any one of us. I feel confident to say that any one of us on this call here today you could connect with LinkedIn and ask questions of or meet and Maureen and Don and I chat offline often, you know, to just support and help each other. I think you're right, especially when you're talking about something like a skills gap analysis to bring this back is sometimes doing it alone seems very daunting. It's heavy work, which is why it's a tool that remains dusty in our toolkits because it's a heavy lift. And if you have the right support to be able to bounce ideas off of, then it might seem less cumbersome, but also it might help you mentally. And emotionally too. To be able to do it. Absolutely. And Connie, I like this, involved in several professional associations. Yes, ATD, ISPI. There's just so many you know, organizations to be part of your virtual network. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm seeing everybody's like, yes, we should support each other, and we should. And we can support each other specifically, too. So if you are thinking about putting together and tackling a skills gap analysis, you can find somebody here and say, help me do that. Be a buddy for me. Help me and support me and see what you can't arrange to have somebody, I don't know, somebody like Dr. Bob who might be able to help you get some ideas into the business or somebody like Jason who is having those conversations with the organization, they may be able to help you too. All right. One of the other things here that was mentioned was the shifting of skills. You know, where are we seeing the shift? And that was one of the charts that was included in the one in the blog post that I wrote. And thank you guys for giving me some thumbs up on that blog post. And one of the more interesting skill shifts here is how we're dealing with new people. And it goes right back to thinking about that job description, about starting people off on the right foot. Are we ensuring that they have the right skills in order to move forward? The second part of that was how do we help people with automation of work? And so these are all things that we know are coming up and we have experienced in the past. And especially when you think about onboarding, you know, onboarding is not a new topic, but how we deal with onboarding might be new and should be new. So are we dealing with onboarding to prepare new people coming into the organization 
to help them identify future skills? Are we teaching people who are onboarded within our organizations to upskill themselves? Are we showing them how to do that in our onboarding processes? And maybe you don't have career paths within your organization, that's fine. But can you give them advice as to how to continue learning for skills that you know are going to be needed for your organization? So in an onboarding session, you might say, collaboration is critical to our organization. And if you don't feel that you are as good as you could be with collaboration, here's a few places you can go. Here's a few things you can read. Here are a few videos you can watch. Here is somebody to buddy up with within our organization who collaboration is a superpower. And so now when we do this, maybe it's not a formal gap analysis per se, but we are helping people grow and build new skills because I would rather reskill and upskill than outskill. We don't want to be on the ending of outskilling people, which means we're providing them with skills because we're preparing to lay them off. Okay. I think you guys did great. And thank you for all of the insights that you did. And it was, it's really great to be able to hear what other people are doing and how they might be struggling. And I encourage everybody here to reach out and talk to each other, but also find those business reports, find those business reports, hook into those business reports because they will be your crystal ball. Thank you for that, Dr. Bob. And, you know, Rebecca, Stella, maybe there's some synergy there, you know, between the two of you. And remember that when you're thinking about the skill, you're thinking about, I'll just say those three things again, why people aren't doing or why do they not have what they need in order to move forward? It's a skill, it's a knowledge, it's an attitude thing. It's one of those three things. They don't know how to do the thing, they're not able to do the thing, they don't want to do the thing. So our job is to figure out which one of those three is it? And then where can we help them to build and to grow? All right, and I hope that everyone has here in the stateside, I hope you all have a great 4th of July long weekend. What's your favorite 4th of July activity? Barbecue with family. Local parade. There's a local parade. And then uh, I like watching the fireworks, but from afar. So I'm not caught in a traffic jam afterwards. <laughs> Lately, it's been sitting in my backyard watching the Disneyland fireworks. I'm about a block from there. So I get a really good show almost every night. Oh, how jealous am I? That's awesome. Well, thank you all. Thank you, everyone, for hanging with us for another Learning Rebels Coffee Chat. Skills gap analysis, not the sexiest of topics, I will admit, but one that is super important to what we do to help people within businesses be more successful. And what's our most important takeaway today? Well, we have to ensure that we bring businesses into the process. We bring managers and leaders in to support the investigation process and use business reports and tools to help us assess the future need. And secondly, don't underestimate the power of collaboration. Reach out across departments and ask the department heads what they need in order to help them reach their business skills. What skills and tools can we help them provide? So there was a lot of good advice here. Mostly, you don't have to tackle this alone. The L&D community is a powerful one and someone is always there to help. 
So speaking of the community, and you want to join us live on these coffee chats, and you know you do, go on over to learningrebels.com and sign up. In the meantime, stay curious, be rebellious, and take over the world. Bye for now. Thank you.